Welcome to Changing Places, brought to you by Avis and Young. In Changing Places, we explore our continuing and complex relationships with the built world around us. I'm your host, Miriam Sobe. Nothing is forever in the theater. Whatever it is, it's here. It flares up, burns hot, and then it's gone. That's a quote from the 1950 film All About Eve, a revival of Cabaret at London's Playhouse Theater marked the official reopening of the storied West End. According to the stage, the opening symbolically represents the full reopening of the West End 609 days since its forced shutdown due to the pandemic. That's the longest shutdown since the Puritan repression in 1642. Wild, right? Now, with folks getting back into their seats and unwrapping their candies, I want to dive into all things theater, from their venue design to how they intend to survive with reduced crowds, with my guests, James Williams, who's the CEO of Shaftesbury Theater, and Chris Dumas, Principal of Workplace Strategy, Arts, and Culture at Avis & Young. I can't wait to get their takes on the current challenges in the theatrical landscape, how COVID has changed approaches to live events, and what the future looks like going forward for one of the oldest forms of entertainment in the world, the theatre. I was here the first day they all reopened. Okay, so... Yeah, yeah, so okay. yeah, ever, I've, all through the pandemic, anything that's been on, I've been at. Have you been to a West End Theatre since reopening? Yes. Yes? Yes. Have you? I don't know. No. No, okay. <laughs> no, this is the first one. No. Okay. Yeah. That's a yes? Okay. No. Okay. We'll begin at the Shaftesbury Theatre in London's West End with James Williams. As we go backstage, you can see the dressing rooms, all of which are in the original form that they've been since the theatre was first opened. We have added new spaces, and we have tried to keep those dressing rooms to a standard that is appropriate for our current uh, performers. It's important that there are places to shower. It's important there are places to rest. You don't see any major difference from a performance post-pandemic to a performance pre-pandemic. We we were ahead of the game in terms of COVID because we've got a good air system in here, a good exchange of air, um, and it makes us feel very comfortable with the audiences that are now coming into the theatre. You see a, a, a foyer that's looking very empty at the moment. Well, that's because we're before a performance. But even when there was a performance on, we now try and get people to move through our foyer a lot faster than they used to. With COVID, we've closed that bar, but we probably will never reopen it because with the new large bar opening in the stalls, we'll be able to better service our audience. And we've got to reconfigure these spaces. So during the daytime... Um, in about two years' time, this foyer will be open to the public for them to come in with the coffees and teas and sandwiches and snacks that they bought at an outside catering facility and sit and enjoy a bit of calm. Or they can sit outside and enjoy the fresh air. The West End is coming back to life now. We have an environment now where the audience are coming back and they're gladly coming back to the theatre. James, in the last year and a half, theaters have had to deal with a lot of uncertainty from how to safely reopen to how do you update Edwardian theaters. Can you tell us about how you and your team at the Shaftesbury Theatre have tackled these issues? Well, I think that it it had a slight complexity to it because um, 
we were already in uh, the throes of doing some major work on the building. Um, so when we got to the point of being instructed to close down, uh, we had a team of 35, 40 construction workers just completing one job and about to move on to another job, which was um, the uh, excavation around the theatre to create a, a new space for us. And so we had that running in parallel with the show. So the immediate was dealing with the show closing um, and to go from one day where you had 150 people in the building working and audiences of over a thousand coming into the show to the next day having nothing was, was really catastrophic. And within probably two days, no one was coming into the theatre. And then we thought we might be back in the new year and then it just kept on moving. And so you were constantly in this, this state of flux. It's interesting. You mentioned that while everything kind of shut down, you were still able to do the construction and, and rehabbing or, or whatnot. Was it maybe a little bit of a blessing in disguise to be able to focus on the construction solely during this period of time? So I would come in at 7.30 in the morning, unlock the building, come up to my office here, whilst the builders knock Mary Hell out of the building down below. And then at five o'clock, lock up and go home. It gave something to do. But actually, in the end, I've spent the last 40 years working in theatre, seeing shows put on every night. And it became slowly the most dispiriting thing to have to do. Because, it, because although I love the fact that we're changing a theatre building and making it a better factory for us, what makes my heart beat is seeing an audience in, watching a show, hearing the, the, the orchestra strike up to the start of the show, all those things. That is what feeds me. Yeah, I mean, it can definitely, if you're used to all that noise and excitement, it's, it can sound very uh, too quiet. <laughs> well, no, they weren't, weren't quiet because they were de doing demolition, but it was more a case of uh, it doesn't give you the same stimulus that you get when you've got um, a, a creative body in the building sort of passing away and, and working at something that is very original. Would you say the Shaftesbury has been ahead of the curve when it comes to embracing the new reality? Oh, I'd like to think so. But um, I think that would be clutching at straws, frankly. The truth is that, that the Shaftesbury, it has been trying to make the theatre a theatre for the current audience. Um, so taking a 1911 building and trying to make sure that it can satisfy the needs of that audience in, in many different ways has been the challenge. And, and perhaps that has put us slightly ahead of the curve in comparison to others. But to, to make us out to be a, a leader of it, it would be probably a little bit false. But uh, I like to think that we're sort of certainly showing a way to others. Well, speaking of showing away for others, is there a difference between the Shaftesbury, which is the largest independently owned and managed theatre in the West End, versus what other theatres may have gone through during the pandemic? I don't think that many were as foolhardy as us in, in, in sort of going for the big project. Theatre Royal Jury Lane is doing the same, but, but you know, the, the, there are those of us who are desperately trying to make sure that we could take advantage of the period of closure, and those who said, well, look, you know, it's, it's going to be a prolonged period. I'm shutting everything down. I'm making all my staff redundant. And I will wake up when the moment comes. But until that time, I'm going to stay tucked away and safe and secure. Even when we were closed, we did activity that we could do legitimately, despite the lockdown. And that sort of gave us a few crumbs of comfort. Well, what's it been like with the cast, crew and staff of and Juliet? What's it been like working with them as you prepare to get back to business as usual? The starting point is that they're a fantastic bunch. Um, and the show is 
sensational. Um, it's it's probably been one of the most uh, thrilling shows that I've worked on, and I've worked on far too many now. Um, so we were in a good place in our relationship with cast, with, with the crew, and with um, everyone associated with the production. Although audiences, some are absolutely fine. They're just so relieved to be back in the theatre. Others are, are more cautious, and we have to see what we can do to help them feel as safe as possible. That, that's the hard thing, that we've got to create an, an environment backstage that is utterly safe, so that there's integrity in terms of the cast members not catching COVID, or if they do catch COVID, being in a position where they're able to isolate from the rest of the company, because you get a COVID going through 27 actors and you're suddenly in a real state. If you're any part of the show and looking after the show from the audience's perspective, you are not allowed backstage. And if you're backstage, once you've left backstage, you're not allowed back. It makes me wonder what what is backstage like now compared to before? I, I imagine previously there's a lot of excitement and movement and people going in and out. And now is it pretty quiet? Everyone's kind of sequestered to their own space. Uh, uh, yeah, um, the, we, we're lucky. The, the theatre had a development in 2015 that put a, a floor of additional production offices here. So our dressing rooms aren't overburdened they're still quite full but we've the, the company have had to spread them out a little bit more so that um, there are less people or more space for each person in the dressing room there's no loitering around in, in other people's dressing rooms anymore that has to you know you go to your dressing space you stay there there's one staircase up and one staircase down so that you're not crossing over in staircases you have to be masked all the time until the company are on stage no it's it's very, very disciplined. As, as you know, many people have a romantic view that we we're not a disciplined bunch. We actually have to be very disciplined given what we often do on stages. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that audiences are sort of a mix. Some feel super comfortable. Some are a little hesitant. Have you heard from audiences on things they would like to see changed? Uh, for, for moving forward with the theater going experience. And I, I guess I'm wondering is, have things changed since the pandemic in the way that you do things? Like, are you offering other alternative ways to experience the theater? Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I think it's true of, of anyone who has anything that's ticketed. Uh, you don't get a ticket anymore. Um, it's on your phone um, or it's on a piece of paper that you have printed out. So there's no, no double handling of anything. But things like the bars are... Uh, literally done in a file. So you're no longer, you can no longer stay in the bar. We've had to close down one of our bars because we wanted to make uh, the flow through it quicker and safer for everyone. Um, we've introduced a lot of advanced ordering techniques so you can get audio of whatever drinks you want in advance and they can be waiting for you. Or we've put roaming people around the auditorium so that they can take individual's orders. So we're cashless. We're ticketless, but you can still get a drink. When it comes to theaters in general, do you think that outdoor venues like Regent's Park Open Air Theater will become more of a norm or will indoor venues continue to dominate as a place where folks enjoy entertainment? I think that the two coexist. I think that uh, open air theater is a fantastic thing and I love going to it. But you can't do the same things in an open space as you can in an enclosed space. The theaters themselves are going to get better. You know, we have uh, a state-of-the-art air handling system here that has revolutionised the conditions for our audience. And, and 
you know, we, we foresaw everything, of course, and installed it just before the pandemic. But that replaced what was an antiquated system, which in itself had replaced the original system, which was just a hole in the roof that you opened. The theatres are going to stay. I think there is a hunger for theatre. I think there's a hunger for live entertainment. And that will never diminish. The human being loves storytelling, and it loves storytelling on a one-to-one -one basis, which is really what the theatre is. You're sitting there and you're having a direct dialogue with the actors in front of you. That's something very special. It is indeed. And now I feel like I need to go find a theatre show to watch. I miss theatre. Uh, when moving forward, you know, it, it sounds like. You're saying uh, the theater going experience will always be there. It's always going to be an important part of our lives. Do you see any trends in the next uh, five years or so in this space? Do you think things are going to get better or does it depend on where we are with this pandemic? Uh, well, the pandemic's going to gradually decrease in its impact. So we will slowly return to normal. I was just thinking of an analogy, you know, at the moment, people want comfort food. So what we're going to see in our theatres are shows that make people feel good, I think. It needs those people who are really in, in the R&D labs in our regional theatre in the same way as, as, as you need a, a vibrant Lincoln Centre in, in New York or, or various of the other more laboratory-type theatres that coexist with the commercial world. And we've got to see both sides of that ecology supporting each other and being supported independently of each other. So I'm wondering, given our conversation, does the thought of going to a live Broadway show fill you with endless excitement? Do you want to see the symphony or opera in a less traditional setting? Or would you rather watch filmed live theater that you can stream in the comfort of your living room? We're going to dive into all these questions and more. So stick around for the next portion of the show. I'll be speaking with Chris Dumas, Principal of Workplace Strategy, Arts and Culture at Avis & Young. Let's just say he knows a thing or two about arts and culture, spaces, places, and renovations. And just a reminder, Changing Places is a podcast brought to you by Avis & Young that continues to explore and question our complex relationship with the built world around us. I'm your host, Miriam Soap. I hope you're liking the show so far. If so, please share us with your friends. We're about to meet Chris Dumas of Avis & Young. Chris is a project manager and chartered civil engineer who's managed large-scale development projects in arts and culture spaces all over the world. He has over 35 years experience in global real estate. Before we speak to Chris, let's hear if theater goers on London's West End are scared, excited, or nervous about seeing a show. Excited, scared, or anxious to see a live show again? Excited, always excited. Really excited. Like, it's just really nice. The atmosphere is really nice. I feel like it's more fun than before because everyone's just so grateful that we get to be back. Um, it is a bit weird having so many people in such a small space. Um, but I feel like theatres are doing a really good job at making people feel safe. Like, everyone's wearing masks. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, really exciting. Excited to be back at the West End. Yeah. Okay. Just excited. Yeah. Excited. Yeah. Just excited. Excited? Thrilled. It's been a combination of both. Uh, in that it's taken me a while to come back. I was due to come and do like a full weekend April 2020. Um, so I've kind of delayed coming back, but eventually I was just like, I really want to go and I'm just going to do it. 
Chris. Welcome to Changing Places. Uh, Chris, I want to get your thoughts on the theater sector or arts sector more broadly as venues begin to open their doors for audiences, talent, and crew. What does it look like from 10,000 feet? So I'm very much here here in London. Things are very much now in full swing. But I would say in, in the West End, we are missing the tourists. We're, we're missing the visitors to London. I think the other sort of huge change that we've seen is the growth in, um, in the digital side. And that's using cashless technology for paying for drinks, paying for ice creams, paying for programs. And, you know, this is, ha- this is having a benefit. So obviously... Uh, throughput is speeding up, and this is helping revenues uh, for, for theatres as well. I think other than that, I guess that there is a, a broader picture of what is going to happen, and this depends very much on the sort of growth of, of something very different, which is the growth of hybrid working, with many people now working from home, or working remotely at least, for parts of the working week, and therefore are our city centres where most of this form of entertainment and cultural activity is centred. Is all of that activity going to remain in in the city centres or is this going to be, is it going to start moving further out into the suburbs and possibly beyond? Yeah, that's definitely something I've, I've been thinking about is with the new work situations that people have before you would go into the city and you would maybe stay after work to go catch a show. And now if you're not there, is the show going to come to you? <laughs> well, it's a nice idea, isn't it? But maybe that might change uh, over time as well. That maybe having a show that does the rounds is maybe a more sustainable way of more people getting to see those shows than um, than lots and lots of people traveling constantly into the same parts of, the, of town. Yeah, it seems like there's just so many options now that, that folks are looking into. I know you mentioned the digital stuff, and we also spoke with James Williams about using um, digital tickets, ordering drinks through your phone. Is that something you think all venues should be doing for their audience? Or is this something you think is a case by case? I think that um, all venues will eventually do it. I mean, look, the idea of standing in a queue waiting for somebody to sort out the change, is <laughs> these things are long gone, really. Uh, and just the speed of the transactions is just a, such a huge benefit. A lot of them, as part of their overall sort of viability and sustainability, are having their bars and restaurants and foyers open to all-day activities. And, of course, the ability to, to generate revenues quickly through that process is also extremely important, where you can just use cashless technology to generate income. I think sometimes we think because of the pandemic, so much technological changes have, have occurred. But I think also just because technology has been speeding up, we're so impatient. You know, I don't know the last time I used cash. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is just like, use your phone, swipe this and that. So um, it's it's interesting to see that these traditional spaces, they are now becoming tech savvy. So that's kind of interesting to see. Yeah, they are becoming extremely tech savvy. And look, theatres have used technology in all sorts of ways for many, many years to impress us with, with what, you know, the art of the impossible and putting it on a stage. I think as always, the big, the big issue is, is bringing the audience with you and, and bringing the rest of us along, along that journey. And when it comes to theatre and the spaces that theatre has been in, over time, it's been outdoor as well. It hasn't always been in, in a closed space. You have amphitheatres, um, arenas. What are the things that you're seeing now, Chris, from other venues or production houses using spaces in a new way for our new reality. Yes, this is another interesting trend. One of one of our major clients, the London Symphony Orchestra, has been using an area that it's really has used for its for, to store 
equipment and music. It's an industrial zone out just outside, well, north of London in Tottenham, and uh, which happens to be on the same industrial estate as Beavertown Brewery has its tap room, and putting on some combined events with Beavertown providing the beer and the London Symphony Orchestra providing classical music, and together sort of putting on something that is very new and and a, a, attracting and accessing very different uh, audiences than it would be able to do, say, in a traditional concert hall. And I think that's a, a very interesting development, which hopefully will, will gain further ground. It sounds like with, with the London Symphony Orchestra playing in a brewery that gives a bigger audience access to classical music that may not have otherwise decided to go and attend a show. Are you seeing that more with these sort of hybrid experimentations? Yeah, I think it's still a bit slow because obviously COVID hasn't gone away and we're still working our way through this pandemic. But it, it certainly has given fresh license to go and experiment and try some other things. Do you think Broadway, London as these uh, epicenter for theatre, do you think that could change and it could just break away into smaller places, suburbs, other realms versus what we've known as as the hub? I, I, I find it hard to see Broadway in the West End um, disappearing and atomizing into smaller groups. I do think that the domestic audience uh, not coming into city centres as much as it has been creates the opportunity to provide plays, musicals, etc., much closer to people's homes. Um, and and then it's a case of of locating these in, in the right places that can attract as many people as possible. What about for theatre goers? Are they going to see any changes in terms of ticket prices with, with all that's going on? Are they going to be going up, going down? I'm just thinking, I went to see Hamilton before COVID and man, that was an expensive ticket. Yeah. <laughs> but it was worth it. But at the same time, I would have liked to have a discount. <laughs> so um, is that the trend? Are, are things just going to be Hamilton prices uh, moving forward? Or um, do you see some changes? I think that... Uh, there is a need to attract people back in. And, and I think that, you know, the laws of supply and demand will inevitably create some downward pressure on prices, particularly if tourists are not around. But you've got to temper that with the fact that theatres have had a terrible time through this pandemic. And, you know, they have really worked through their reserves. And therefore, there isn't an awful lot more to go at. And, and, and therefore, it's not like, you know, there's a bottomless pit there. That, I mean, that's a good point you made. Just I, I keep forgetting that, yes, the folks that work in theater also dealt with the pandemic. Um, they didn't have jobs. They were just sitting there waiting for everything to clear up. And, and many of the people who work in theater are freelancers. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, some have been able to access some government subsidies and support. Others haven't. And, and so, you know, been very, very badly hit. I'd see more support from the government in terms of funding, in terms of in times of crisis. There was a lot of uncertainty, especially in like theatre and music and the arts. And I think that the government could have done a lot better to make it clear what stance they were taking and how they were going to support them rather than leaving a lot of people in the dark. Like to see cultural venues going forward? Um, no, I don't think so. Everything's been really well run everywhere that we've been. Everyone's been really really professional yeah, I think yeah. it's been everybody's been very sort of cognizant of the rules and being careful and 
it, it feels quite safe. The theatres you know? have done everything that they can and been really impressed with them. No, I think it's fine. I just like it that it comes back to the way it is. Not really. Um, I think as long as everyone's had their jabs and their boosters, they should be all right. Not any that I can think of. <laughs> so you're happy the way it's all been implemented since they've reopened? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I think it's uh, it's been great. Um, you know, I've just got to get on with my life and on with going to the theatre. If we're looking back at um, sort of these Victorian theatres or opera houses, how would you go about luring people back into those spaces? I think that the additional offer that, that theatres are putting on in the way of bars, restaurants, they're a great help as well. Um, because it means that you, know, you can have a whole evening out as opposed to just see a show and that's it. I mean, you might want to see a show and go on somewhere else, but it does give you uh, another dimension, another possibility. And that is certainly a growing trend. It'd be nice to be able to just go to a gallery or something again without having to book a ticket. Like, it's different for the theatre, but we have so many, like, cultural hubs in London that you used to be able to just walk into, and if you were out and about, you could go to an art gallery or you could go to a, a space. Yeah, and you can still control, like, numbers and make things safe without making it... Ticketing it. Yeah, and having like, times that you have to be there. You mentioned some of these galleries or museums being um, spaces for different types of things. And what I wonder is if you have, let's say, an event in a warehouse serving beer, but then there's like really expensive artwork, uh, you know, hanging around. How do you balance that? I mean, is there is there any worry there? Massive worries. <laughs> I think that if you went to see that sort of thing, it, it would be you would be going along to a gallery maybe to get a behind-the-scenes view with a very different perspective. Um, and it might attract also, I mean, I'm hoping that it will attract individuals who may be very interested in the art, but also may be very interested in all of the activities that a gallery and a museum has to do behind the scenes in order to display that art, whether that's to do with logistics, with conservation, with transportation, with audience management, you know, all of those issues. Well, as we get ready to wrap up, Chris, are there any trends you're seeing now, good or bad, that we may see play out over the next few years? So I think the um, the, the digital and cashless trend will continue, I, I think, and will grow. I think that the transmission of shows on online, which is another thing which has been an increasing feature of this pandemic, I think will go alongside the, the the real life experience of, of being in the auditorium. And I can see that growing enormously, particularly to countries that, you know, sort of more developing countries that have less less access to, to this. So, so I think those trends, which are both digitally inspired, will, will carry on. I'd like to thank James Williams and Chris Dumas for taking the time to guide us through the future of live entertainment as we all adjust. In our next episode, we're off to the ports. They've been in the news lately, but we're going to speak with two experts who can guide us through this integral part of the supply chain and our everyday lives. I'm Miriam Sobe, and this is Changing Places, brought to you by Avis and Young. See places changing and evolving in your neighborhood? Share your evolving spaces with us on social media using the hashtag Changing Places Podcast. I'm Miriam Sobe, and this is Changing Places. Changing Places is brought to you by Avis and Young. 
Our producer is Andrew Pemberton Fowler. Our sound engineer is Patrick Emil. Our production assistant is Gabriela Mrozowski. Additional production support is provided by JAR Audio.